morning, church. Everybody hear me? Or should I say class? Good morning, class. No, we're not going that far. Ruh-roh, I heard that. No, we're going we're <laughs> we're gonna to open the Word today. We're going to get into it. And there's a couple things in what we're talking about today that it kind of helps to see a kind of visual representation and and kind of go from there. Um, let's open with the uh, with a prayer this morning and and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today, Lord, just asking you to give us humility as we approach the Scripture today, to to hear your word and and approach it uh, with a with a mind wanting to know you more. God, I pray that as you've taught me these words of yours, that I could help others hear your word today as well. Lord God, I just pray that you would receive so much glory and honor today as we just celebrate you and your plan and your sovereignty and your grace, Lord. God, I pray for everyone here that you would just give us a special anointing of your spirit, that we would just be so full of encouragement and so full of gladness that that this prophecy is for us today. Lord God, I thank you for everyone here. And Jesus, we pray in your name and give you all honor and glory. Amen. Amen. All right, we've come to the end of the line here. We've been in our our series in Daniel, our survey series really of Daniel. Um, we've gone uh, through the book, dealt with Daniel's purpose as a man uh, made in exile in Babylon and his faithfulness to the Lord and the Lord's faithfulness to him. We've dealt with the narrative stories of this book. Uh, that Daniel has recorded for us about his friends and about himself that show the character of God to save his people. Last week, we dealt with the image of mankind, the prophecy of, of man, really, from the time of Babylon until the end time and the Babylon and really the resurrected Rome to come in the end that the Antichrist will will lead and how Christ, the kingdom of the Messiah, will crush that kingdom, that feet of the statue, and will lead to the toppling of all the empires of the world that stand against God. That's what we talked about last week. Now we're moving to the second large prophecy of Daniel. And like I said, I would love to do <laughs> six months of the book of Daniel. There's so much in here. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to approach, I picked these two prophecies there. The, they're the two main prophecies in this book. And they teach us, last week teaches us about mankind. And now we have a prophecy that teaches us about something more than man. About a holy plan, about not just dealing with the physical realm here on earth, but dealing with the spiritual realm of God, of Satan, and of our eternal destiny. And so we're going to see that today as we open this prophecy. This prophecy is called the 70 weeks, the 70 weeks of Daniel. 
And many of us know this prophecy. We've heard about it. Uh, we, we, um, we may have heard it in passing or in a sermon once or twice, uh, but few of us have ever dived deep into this prophecy. And uh, I know I sure didn't, and, and it, you know, it was something I knew of and had written papers, used quotes from it in papers. Uh, but once I really, really dug into this prophecy, man, it just blew my mind. And, and I think it's so good for us today. We see in the world right now some crazy stuff going on. And I'm sorry I missed the Bible studies. I would have loved to hear that. It's my wife's birthday, so we've been celebrating all weekend. And, um, but what we see in the world right now, man, is crazy. I do want to give a prayer, and I'll pray for the, you know, the innocent bystanders in this war, the Ukrainians. And, but man, this world is, is crazy right now, and I'm glad Mark brought it up from what I heard that Yes, it may look crazy, but it's all according to God's plan. What we're going to touch today in this book really makes that clear. And I hope now more than ever, as we touch with this prophecy, it, it, it really shows us what we're seeing today should not surprise us. Because it is unfolding a plan of God that was written from the beginning. And so we'll see that today. So let's read this prophecy together. Uh, we're going to read the whole prophecy from the book of Daniel. And, um, and then we'll kind of chop it up and, and, and exposit it as we move along. So Daniel, we're in Daniel chapter 9. The prophecy is in Daniel chapter 9. Um, starting is, well, we really, the prophecy starts in verse 24, but we'll start in verse 20. Because what we see here is we see... We see Daniel, he comes before the Lord after seeing that the time of his captivity was coming up. The time that we talked about last week of the prophecy of his captivity is coming up to an end. So he begins to pray to the Lord saying, what now? What's going to happen now? And this is our prophecy for us in Daniel chapter 9 verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, the angel, the messenger of God, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. What's beautiful about that is Daniel began praying for his people, saying our time that we deserved, uh, this time that was prophesied that we would be, in 70 years of captivity has come to an end. So forgive me, forgive my people. What's next, God? And the angel Gabriel says, at the moment he began to pray and ask for mercy, God sent the angel Gabriel to come and tell him what was to happen. And so here's the prophecy given to him. Verse 24. 
Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Verse 27, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolate. This is the prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. Now please, as we go through this, (laughs) we're going to need to approach it with grace and understanding, uh, because there's so much in here. I was telling my wife, I'll, there's so much here that if you feel you've heard enough, you can go ahead and leave. Uh, if we stay a little longer, I apologize. <laughs> you will not offend me. Uh, but there is so much in here. And so we're going to do our best to get through it in 35 minutes. Um, so let's begin, I guess, as we jump into this. The purpose of this whole prophecy in Daniel 9 is really stated for us in verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people, your holy city, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. This is our purpose statement, our, our thesis, if you will, for this whole prophecy. Each of those things we see have a greater meaning and a, a, a real force behind them. The prophecy says there are 70 weeks decreed, meaning there are 70 weeks are going to come, and at the end of these 70 weeks, transgression will be finished, sin will be finished, put an end to sin, sin will be finished. Atone for iniquity, all our sins will be atoned for. Bring in everlasting righteousness. Righteousness will, will, will enter into the scene of our hearts somehow, into the world somehow. Vision and profit will be sealed. There'll be no more need for profit. There'll be no more need for vision. And anoint a most holy place that really is a reference to God and him having his, as, we, as clearly the context with Daniel, is having a place of his own that is his, that he stands in. These things that are listed here is the purpose of this prophecy. He says, and at the end of 70 weeks, this is what's going to happen. Now, all those things are pretty heavy statements to say. I think this is really, when we look at the Scripture, I think because of this prophecy, we see the purpose of it, if it's these things, then this prophecy is something more than just the end of you know, the Roman rule. It's something more than just the end of 70 weeks, which we'll get into what that is. It's talking about something that's an everlasting end, something that's eternal, something that's God-made and divine, 
So whatever the end of these 70 weeks is, that's the end of God's plan. That is the accomplishment of all of God's plan when you reach the end of these 70 weeks. Okay, I think that there's weight to that, to those words from the angel Gabriel. So now we come into this prophecy. Before we really dive into what each thing means, we must understand what, each, what the weeks represent. Each week of Daniel is a period of seven. Really, that, that, that word there, when it says 70 weeks are decreed, it's saying 70 weeks are decreed means 70 periods are decreed. 70 periods, and what we really see, 70 periods of seven. That phrase 70 weeks means 70 periods of seven. What we under, need to understand about this prophecy is each week is equal to seven years. Every day is a year. Okay? And I'm not, I'm not just saying that because... I think that that's what makes the most sense, and then the math lines up, so that makes sense. No, I think we have, we have evidence in Scripture that leads us to that conclusion. Because remember, this is prophetic language, so they're using imagery here and, and illustration that we have to make sense of. Because we clearly know 70 weeks after <laughs> this prophecy was given, nothing happened. So it must be more than that. It, has to, it can't mean specifically 70 weeks. So this is prophetic language. We have to understand the context of what 70 periods of seven means, which is the Hebrew there. Um, the best thing we can do is find the, most, the closest contemporary context of using this, this idea, which we find in Ezekiel. And so you'll have to skip ahead a verse there to Ezekiel chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. So this is Ezekiel being given a prophecy of God and how God tells him to refer to a day. So listen to this. God says, For I assign to you a number of days, 390 days, equal to the number of years of their punishment. So long shall you bear the punishment of the house of Israel. And when you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side, and you will bear the punishment of the house of Judah. Forty days I assign you a day for each year. So we see this prophetic concept that, especially dealing with God's plan for dealing with transgression, which we know is one of the purposes of this prophecy. A day can mean a year, and especially in the direct context of Ezekiel, which was, which was very close to Daniel in Scripture, in you know, uh, chronology, uh, a day is a year. So we understand that. You can also see that same principle in Numbers. I'll give you the verse here, but we don't have a lot of time to go through it. Numbers chapter 4, verses 34 through 35, has that same concept. And this is Numbers, okay? Written, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, written by Moses. The same concept there of, in this prophetic fulfilling, a day can mean a year in that context. And so when he says seven periods of seven, or 70 periods of seven, he's saying 70 uh, periods of seven years. That's where we get the term, this was translated for us, weeks. So that 70 weeks is 70 periods of seven years. Does that make sense? Each week is seven years. All right. So in this context of Daniel, if each week is a period of seven years, then 70 weeks, he says, 70 weeks are destined for you. That's 490 years, right? 70 times seven. Seven years for every week, 70 times seven. So the angel Gabriel says, 490 years are given to you, okay? For the fulfillment of this prophecy. For the fulfillment of, as we read there, 
put an end, finish transgression, put an end to sin, atone for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal vision and prophet, anoint a most holy place. All right, everyone with me? <laughs> so that's the first start. Start with the seven the, that we have 490 years at play here, 70 weeks, each week is seven years, and now we can do- dive into this. So we begin with verse 25. Verse 25, and I'm actually going to read the New King James Version. The ESV Version is good. Uh, I always prefer ESV Version. Usually when I preach and study, even I recommend everyone when you study, study different versions, get into it, as long as they're, you know, you know academic, academically made translations. I'm going to read the New King James Version. We'll have the ESV up here. The New King James Version says, now, the, uh, Daniel 9.25, now, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, until the anointed one, there shall be 70 weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again, the wall, even in a troublesome time. So I prefer that translation because it I think normally I don't lean on New King James because there's a lot of Latin um, variants in there which it's debatable. I know I'm getting too academic here. Basically, I like this version because I think it holds closer to the Hebrew there. And we also have that term anointed one translated for us as Messiah. Remember the word Messiah means anointed one. So it says, so now we have angel Gabriel says, okay, I'm giving you 490 years. I'm giving you 70 weeks. And then he begins to expand what are those weeks. From the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah comes, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. There shall be seven weeks of years and 62 weeks of years. We know, and I'm not going to read this for us either because there's, it's just too, too much to fill in our time, but the decree to rebuild the temple. Remember, the temple is destroyed about this time. The temple is destroyed. Babylon came in, destroyed the temple, destroyed Jerusalem. And years later, the Persian Empire would rise up. And under the Persian Empire, we have recorded for us what happened. In Nehemiah, we see, well, actually, we see with Cyrus, this decree go out saying, let's rebuild. I'm going to allow the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple, rebuild their city. And in Nehemiah, we actually see the fulfillment of that decree. Nehemiah chapter 2. Uh, Nehemiah asked the king, can I go back and help build Jerusalem and lead my people in building Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple? And Nehemiah sends him. That was about 445 B.C., 444 B.C. King Artaxerxes allows the rebuilding of the temple. So from going out of that word until the coming Messiah, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now we get to go to the whiteboard. Okay. So here we have the prophecy of Daniel 70 weeks. So from the going out of the decree, which was 400 and do I have that right? 445, I believe. Yes. Yeah, around 445 B.C. Okay, which we can put right here. 445 B.C. There's a decree that happens that says time to rebuild the temple. So in 445 B.C., there's going to be seven weeks. Seven times seven gives us 49. And then 
from the de- we also says it splits it up here, and I'll explain that in a second. It says that and there shall be sixty two weeks. So we have sixty two weeks. Uh, seven times sixty two, which takes us to I believe that's four hundred and thirty four. I don't know if my math is correct there. Yeah, 434. So from the the calling of the temple to be rebuilt, there's supposed to be 49 weeks and 432 weeks, which gives us 483 years. Okay? So 483 years from the calling of the temple to a coming Messiah, the prophecy tells us that that time will take 483. And 83 years. The declaration to rebuild the temple was given in A.D. 445, just about. If we understand there were pr- the prophecies probably 300, each, each year is probably a 360-day year, which is usually what we see in Scripture when it comes to prophecy. 483 years from the time of the decree to rebuild the temple brings us to about 33 A.D. Does that not just blow your mind? I'm sorry, but that blows my mind, okay? This prophecy says, in 483 years, a Messiah will be cut off. 483 years from the, the declaration to rebuild the temple... We have 33, between 33 and 35 A.D. Who arrived at 33 and 35 A.D. recorded for us in history outside of the Bible? A man called Jesus of Nazareth. And we know that that man called Jesus of Nazareth was crucified around 33 to 35 A.D. I think it's amazing to see that here in Scripture, we have an actual prophecy that gives us a timeline leading up to the Messiah. If you really take it in the context that this is a prophecy dealing with years, and that 483 years from the de- declaration to rebuild the temple, as we see there in verse 25, from the understand that the going out of the word to restore the building of Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah, we're going to have 62 and 7 years, so or 62 and 7 weeks, which is 483 years, an anointed one will come. So from the going out to the coming of the Messiah, 483 years. Then the Messiah will be cut off. So we start with that, and that alone is just incredible. And now I I encourage you, research this, get more into this, because when I saw this, it blew my mind. And... It really shows us that in the book of Daniel, we have a prophecy about Jesus himself, that Jesus was coming. This Messiah is supposed to come. Now, you can figure, you know, you can mess with the date. Oh, was it the earliest when Cyrus decreed or was it a latter time? What we really see is still the same time period within a margin of years, some few years, we have the decree leading us to Jesus himself. So... Doesn't that make the Pharisees seem all the more silly? <laughs> that their own words said, look, in 69 weeks, which is 69 times 7, which is in 483 years, the Messiah is going to show up. So you better be ready. 
The Messiah is going to be cut off, whatever that means. He's coming, he's going to be cut off, and he's going to have nothing. And yet when 483 years came, they were all caught up in their religion, their laws, their, their whatever they had, their power, that they were not looking for the Messiah. They were looking to keep their law and keep their people under the law to, to keep their honor. Paul was adamantly attacking the church because he believed it was going against everything he stood for before God grabbed him. So here we go. For those who missed it, we have an actual prophecy in the book of Daniel that says 483 years from the time of the rebuilding of the temple to the time the Messiah will come. That happened around 33 AD, this Messiah comes. Now let's go back to verse 26. After the 69 weeks are completed, this Messiah is supposed to be cut off. Verse 26. And after 62 weeks, and an anointed one. Oh, by the way, another thing that I need to make clear. Why did it get separated between 49 years and 434 years? The belief is when the call came to rebuild the temple, it probably took about 49 years to rebuild the city and the temple. And then from that moment is divided to another 434 years from the rebuilding of the temple to the day the Lord walked into the temple. Isn't that crazy? All right. This scripture is heavy but good. All right. After the 69 weeks are completed, so the 62 plus 7, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. So here we have this Messiah. At the end of this 69 weeks is going to be cut off. This is Christ crucified. It says he shall have nothing. That can also be translated, he shall have nothing of himself, not for himself. He shall be cut off, not for himself. It can also mean, the wrath of God was poured on him. He shall have nothing. Nothing that he had shall he have. The wrath of God is poured on him. Isaiah 53, 4-6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted, having nothing. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the Messiah being cut off and having nothing. The wrath of God poured upon him for our sins. See, we were lost. And Christ came into the world to save those who were lost. We were lost because of our own sin, our own guilt. We might think we're good. I'm good enough. I'll make it to heaven. But it's not about being good enough. It's about do you belong to God? Do you belong to Jesus as your Savior or not? How do you belong to the Savior? You believe that His death washed you white as snow. You believe that He saved you. You believe you call on Him that when you die, you'll stand before the judgment seat of God and God will say, you are mine. Get up here. That's how I see it going. And that happened when the Messiah was cut off, when, when he was killed for our transgressions, okay? 
Then the word says in this very verse that the people of the prince who shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary after this happens. We know in history that the people of the prince who shall come, remember, this prince is different than this Messiah, okay? This prince who shall come, as we talked about last week, is the same prince who's going to rise up in the end in the resurrected Rome. This is the Antichrist. So he'll rise up in the resurrected Rome. So the, the people of the prince who is to come, which is all those who belong to Babylon, and really here we have Rome itself, another reinforcement that, re- that it is the resurrected Rome, whatever that looks like, that the Antichrist is the head of, they will destroy the city and the temple. We know in 70 AD, Rome destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Tore down. Remember, Jesus even prophesied it. This building will be torn down. Not a stone will be left. That happened. All these will happen after the end of those 69 weeks. Are you all following with me there? Messiah will be cut off at the end of 69 weeks. The, the city and the, and the temple will be destroyed by the people of that Antichrist to come. And this all happens before the 70th week begins. We're not even at the good stuff yet, although that's pretty heavy. See, I think there's a pause now in this prophecy, a pause that even Daniel himself didn't fully understand. The word says that the prophets and and those before didn't understand this mystery to come where God unfolds this mystery. So there's, there's 69 weeks, and for some reason there's another pause. We can say, well, what happens after the 69 weeks the Messiah died? Is there another seven years that happened right after that? What happened at the end of that seven years? There's lots of people who, if they want to take it from 69 and go right into the 70th week, they have different assumptions of what that could mean. Of, or maybe that was when, you know, if they have a false, uh, bad understanding they think, okay, when Pentecost happened, that was the end of the seven weeks. Or when the full multitude of Gentiles, Jews, and everyone else, and Samaritans came into the church, that was the end of the seven weeks. But what I think we see here is actually the 69 weeks ends. After the 69 weeks, we have the Messiah being cut off, the temple and city being destroyed of the Jews, and then the 70th week begins at a time later. Because what's happening now is God then unfolds this mystery that he has in store for the world. That mystery we see in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, like Daniel, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So here we have a mystery being unfolded. At the end of the 69 weeks, Jesus does something, yes, for the, peop- the believing people of Israel, but also for all those who will call on his name, that all people could come to him. This mystery is that all those who God has created have the right, or I shouldn't say the right, have the opportunity to come to him. Not a right, that's for sure. 
It's by grace we have been saved. We do not deserve it. And so all people can come to Jesus because of what he did on the cross. That's this mystery. And I think that's what we see here in this prophecy. We have the 483 years of the temple being, the calling for the temple to be rebuilt. The temple gets rebuilt after 49 years. 434 years, we have the coming of Jesus. He's cut off. A future seven years is still supposed to happen, but right now there's a mystery of God being revealed, that he's bringing in all people to come to know him, to be saved. This is a mystery, and it is the mystery unfolding right now. This is what you know a dispensationalist would call the church age. Um, I'm not necessarily a dispensationalist. I don't know if you guys heard that term. But I think when we look at the tension in Daniel about this Antichrist to come and that God's kingdom is going to directly attack and destroy the kingdom of the Antichrist, there's a tension that all this is to be, when all this is done, when this prophecy is done, that's the end. That's the millennial reign of Christ right there. And so here we have this prophecy and there's a tension here. And so I think this is actually a very good uh, representation of this scripture. And so this is where I'll include a disclaimer before we jump into that 70th week because that is where we get some end time stuff. That's the stuff. Everything I've talked about is stuff that's already happened. So here's the disclaimer. When it comes to that final 70th week, there are so many interpretations out there because we all as Christians have different, underst- we have different uh, tensions in our own heart, different understandings of what we think God is going to be doing in that time. Different denominations have different convictions. Um, So what I will be presenting for the 70th week is what I have been convinced and convicted of through studying as I looked at the context of Daniel, as I've studied, and not just my own understanding, relied on people who are much smarter than me and who have studied this a lot longer than me, my beloved Alan. (laughs) People like that, professor, my professor right there. And this being convinced of this of really this prophecy of what the 70th week means. There are some who believe that, yes, that 70th week began at the baptism of Christ. So that means seven years from the baptism of Christ to his crucifixion or to his, um, yeah, to, I think, to the the uh, bringing in of all the believers. So halfway through that was the crucifixion, a covenant. Christ was the one who made a covenant and... The church, all the church was gathered in three and a half years later after that, the gospel reached the Gentiles and the Jews rejected the Messiah. So that's one understanding, and that's not what I've been convicted of. And I believe in the context of Daniel, while that is a compelling understanding, I don't think it fully gives weight to the eschatological weight of this Daniel. I know is. We hit a boring moment right here. Alex, you can go if you want. <laughs> she said, if it gets boring. Now she's sweet. But I'm going to move into the 70 week in the way I feel convicted of. Please study for yourself. Be convicted of how, uh, what you think, you know, what the Lord leads to you. Rely on those who are smarter than you and studied this longer than you. Because um, that's what I'm going to try to do today and present it well. So here we go. The 26 or... Verse 26 and 27, we have the 70th week, right? So after the 62 weeks 
the, or the end of the 69 weeks, the anointed one shall be cut off. The people of the prince who is to come, that becomes important, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end shall come with the flood. To the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And here we have verse 27. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. For half that week, so here's the beginning of the 70th week, the last week. And for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And then on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. This is the last week dealing with the future seven years. And I think Jesus, I think when we look at this last future seven years, there's a lot of things that lead us to that conclusion. Jesus describes this event, the three and a half years and the other three and a half years, when he speaks of his coming. Daniel 7, which we'll get into, describes this last time as referring to the Antichrist. So the Antichrist is present in this last time. Both Jesus and Daniel referenced that. We also see this three and a half years or times, times, times and a half. This is always referring in Scripture to eschatology. We see that all the time, the end times. And those six things that need to be accomplished by the end of this prophecy all seem to be pointing to a final end that is coming, a final fulfillment of everything, put an end to all sin, all rebellion, set up an anointed place. So I think if we go to Daniel chapter 7, verse 19, we see this seventh, this seven years, this final seven years that is yet to come. And we see this prince who makes a strong covenant for half the week appear. This is the prince of the one of the, this is the prince of the same people who destroyed the temple and, and uh, Jerusalem. So Daniel seven nineteen. then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast. Remembering Daniel thinking about that fourth beast, that Rome that for some reason continues on and, and has these horns that come up, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with his teeth of iron and claws and of bronze, and which it devoured and broke into pieces and stamped what was left with his feet. And I wanted to know about the ten horns that were on its head, and of the little horn that came up and before which three of the other horns fell, the horn that had eyes and had a mouth that spoke great things and seemed greater than its companions. And as I looked, here we go, verse 21, as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. So this is Daniel seeing that vision of that kingdom to come. He asked the angel, what is that little horn? What is this kingdom in the end? And this is the response. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, Daniel 7, 23, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth, trample it down and break it to pieces. And as for the ten horns out of the kingdom, ten kings shall rise. So here we have Rome, this, this fourth beast that's different than the rest. And it becomes the feet of clay and of, of iron. That's it. That's this feet of clay and iron means Rome is going to rise again. And when it rises again, it will have ten. You can think of the ten toes of the feet or the ten horns of the beast. In the end, this, this, this kingdom will rise with ten kings. So this is all speaking about something to come. 
It says these ten horns, and out of this ten king, out of this kingdom, ten kings shall rise, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. Here is the Antichrist, the king that shall come after the ten kings and usurp their authority, which is really what we see. He becomes the king of this kingdom in the end. He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given to his hand. Here it is, for a times, time, and half a time. Times, time, and half a time. Really three and three and a half years. So here we have this prince who is to come. And this prince who is to come is to change the law. This prince who is to come is to be, everything is to be given into his power. This is the prince who makes the abomination of desolation. We see that in that, in our verse in 27, it says, on the wings of abomination shall come who makes desolate. It is the same prince. Jesus spoke of this prince to come. Matthew 24, 15 through 16. When you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Here is this abomination of desolation. Here is this Antichrist, this king of the kingdom in the end. And Jesus says to his people, when you see this abomination of desolation, run. Second Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4. Paul himself refers to this moment of what is that desolation? Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless, meaning of the, the, the time of the end will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. That is the abomination of desolation. He takes his place in the temple, the Antichrist, and says, I am God. And he claims authority that belongs only to Yahweh. So this is what we have happening in that last week, okay? This last week is dealing then with this kingdom to rise. I personally believe what will happen just before this last week comes is we will have the rapture of the church, okay? And even if you don't believe in the rapture of the church to happen before this seven-year tribulation, Scripture is very clear that there is going to be this time of great tribulation and that this, this, this king will rise up. And we actually see in Scripture and we see from our verse in Daniel that he will make a covenant, a promise, at the beginning, for three and a half years with Israel. And at the end of the three and a half years, he will commit the abomination of desolation. So three and a half, half of the seven. He will commit the abomination of desolation, make war on Israel, make war on anyone who believes in the Lord. And that's the great tribulation where you have all hell literally breaking loose. You guys following me with here? I know we're, we're actually making good time, believe it or not. I thought I'd be at 1230 right now. So. Um, so here is that last seven years, if you follow that. Even if you don't believe in the rapture coming at the beginning, 
and you believe the church goes into this tribulation, we still have this tension with Scripture that says this Antichrist will rise, cause the abomination of desolation, and will make war with all the saints, all the people of God. Um, but I think maybe the rapture is the beginning because we see a church, we see a time of the church, and then a beginning of seven years, and and I think there's, like I said, we can spend months on this. I think there's heavy support that says God will rapture his church, take his church with him, because then he unfolds the final, uh, his final plan. If you understand the feasts of Israel, you understand that you have the feast of trumpets, and then you have the feast of um, atonement. And you have the, or no, the feast, am I right there? The feast of atonement, the final, or yeah, the Days of Atonement, yeah. And so we have the final feast. And so you, I think the scripture lies heavily that this is kind of the outlook that we see. Now, I am coming at this with, this is a dispensational understanding. Maybe I'm more of a, I wouldn't call myself dispensational, so this may be a little more reformed or progressive, but uh, this is what you have. But that's not the end. You have this, this little horn that rises up, makes war with the people of God, and then we have the end. Verse 27. He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, exactly. He makes this promise saying, okay, at the beginning, we're going to make this promise. We're going to have peace. And then for half the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. On the wing of abomination shall come the one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. That's the part we need to hear until the decreed end is poured out on that desolator. So whoever this little horn is, whoever this antichrist is, whoever this, this prince is, who's a liar, who commits the abomination of desolation, it will happen only until God's decreed end is poured out on him. Daniel 7.25, we see the continue of that story of that prophecy. He shall speak words against the Most High, he shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a times, times, and half a time. Three and a half years. So here we have the saints being killed by this man in his kingdom. We have him taking the world and then we have God entering the scene. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away and to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High, and his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. And here is the end of the matter. And as for me, Daniel, may my thoughts greatly alarmed and my color changed, but I kept the matter at heart. He hears this prophecy of what's going to happen in that last seven years, what's going to happen with this Antichrist that rises up, and he sees the hand of God, that God will take away the dominion, will crush the kingdom, will establish his own kingdom, uh, a kingdom that uh, belongs to the saints of the Most High. And this kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And everything will be under his hand. We see the defeat of the enemy. Revelation 19, 19 through 21. And I saw the beasts and the king of the earth 
with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. Remember, we have the the man on, on the white horse who comes from heaven, Jesus himself, and the beast was captured. The beast and his armies and his kings, they rise up against the, the, the one who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured with his false prophet who was, in the, uh, who was in his presence and had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of Jesus himself who was sitting on the horse. And all the, bir- the birds were gorged with their flesh. That's kind of heavy imagery of Jesus coming to conquer, of Jesus coming to claim victory and coming against the kingdom of the enemy. So here we have this prophecy, and we're getting to the end here. We have this whole prophecy laid out for us in Daniel, the 70 weeks. And at the end of 70 weeks, we have the 69 weeks and the final week, the 483 years and the final seven years. 490 years, we see this conclusion. And the reason why I think it's a literal seven years is because this was a literal 483 years before the coming of Jesus. So whatever this last weekend, it has to be a literal seven years in the context of Scripture. We have this whole prophecy, and then we have the end. We have Jesus coming in the end, putting an end to the kingdoms of man, and establishing his kingdom on the earth. I believe there's a thousand year millennial kingdom. And then at the very, very end, God deals with Satan once and for all, puts it to the end, and brings heaven to earth. We have the final picture of the kingdom of heaven coming down to earth. Once Satan is finally done away with. All rebellion is done away with. So here's this prophecy. (laughs) It's a lot there. But it's good. As you dive through it, you can be convicted of how of 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 I think what's presented for us in Scripture, and and still I want us we come away with the same with the same response to this prophecy. However you want to take it, if you don't want to take it literally, however you want to take it, we come away with the same response. And I'll end with this. Number one, our first response to this prophecy should be to be encouraged to see God has a sovereign plan. That's our first response. We see this sovereign plan coming out. No matter what man tried to do, even Satan trying to kill every baby that was three years or younger in Bethlehem, nothing could stop the plan of God. And so God has this sovereign plan that no matter what happens, it will be unveiled. So we can be encouraged knowing our God is sovereign. His plan will happen. Number two, I think a huge part, and I didn't really dive into this too much, but it's really important. This plan of his that we see in Daniel shows he has not abandoned his people Israel. The ones who trust in the Messiah, the remnant. We see this clearly that there's a time where God specifically, and I think, is dealing with Israel and bringing his people back to him. His kingdom will come down on Zion and face the kingdom of the enemy. As the enemy tries to stand in the temple and say, He's God, Jesus says, No, I am. As he brings his kingdom to earth. 
I think number three, our third response is to rejoice that his plan will put an end to sin, atone for iniquity, which I believe happened on the cross, and will bring in everlasting righteousness. That seed of life that's planted in us, I think that's the beginning of it, but it continues in that day when everlasting, never-ending righteousness will be here on earth. Man, we just need to rejoice that that day is coming. And the fourth thing, I think, and probably the most important thing from this scripture is that we are to be comforted knowing that God's plan is going to have victory over the enemy's plan. We can have comfort knowing God is going to win. His plan will conquer the enemy's plan. And here's the crux of God's plan in all of this. The Lord's, Yahweh's plan is centered on Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It's centered on Jesus Christ to redeem those who trust in Jesus and to conquer the enemies who rebel against Jesus. It is centered on Christ Jesus, our Lord. Everything we read in Daniel points to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The rock that will crush the statue of man. All the empires and schemes of the enemies will be crushed by the rock that will come in the end. Everything God gave us in this little book, I think, has been given to us to encourage the people of God, to strengthen the people of God, strengthen our spirits as we face and live in our Babylon today, as we're living in Rome today across the world. This prophecy in the book of Daniel which Daniel was just a wise man who God chose to share his message with. This is to give us strength and hope. What we see going on in the world, all it is is setting up for this last time. A one-world government. Ten kings, whatever they are, whatever they look like, and the one king who usurps their power. In fact, we see in Revelation, they give him their power. And then he wages war on anything and everything that belongs to God. So we must hold tight to this king who has the complete victory in the end. We must hold tight to this king whose victory began on the cross. The cross. Is there a cross up there? On the cross. His victory began on the cross, so hold tight to that king who has the victory. Yes, we must keep our eyes open. Look at the world. Look how things are unfolding. Keep your eyes open. We have these for a reason. But be aware of God that all that we see is God's unfolding plan for history. It's God's unfolding plan for his last days. So yes, keep our eyes open. But more importantly, be of great courage knowing that our God is the one who has it all in his plan. Be of great courage knowing our God is the God of victory. So as we see these plans unfolding, don't be surprised. God has literally laid it out. He says, look, I will lay it out for you. I have it planned. So trust in me because I am the God of victory. In this world, you will have tribulation, the Lord Christ calls us to hear his words. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Amen? That is the king of victory. That is what this prophecy is for us today.
So let's stand now with Christ, who is our Holy One. He has the victory. And as we look forward to that day when He accomplishes all His work, and we're going to stand with Him in peace in that anointed holy place for all eternity. Amen? So today we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Unfold your plan for us today. Amen. Heavenly Father, God, we, we praise you. We thank you for this word today. We thank you for your prophecy. I pray that we each individually will dive into the word ourselves. that you would illuminate the scriptures for us that we would lean on the wisdom and the understanding of those who have studied this for years, of those with differing opinions, so that we can know and have a better idea of your word, Lord God. Because we know you have your meaning from it, and we're just trying to, trying to understand your purpose, your meaning, in our humble way. We don't always get everything right, but we try our best to see you and see your word and see what you meant and see your plan. So God, encourage us today with your plan, Lord Jesus. Encourage us today knowing that you are the victor and we are the people of the king of victory. And God, we call on you. Come, Lord Jesus, come and begin the end. Come and save us, redeem us, and and take us home. (laughs) Come, Lord Jesus, come. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our king. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for (laughs) reminding us and telling us that you have it all in your hand. So we need not be afraid, but be of good courage, for you are the God of victory. In your name, Jesus, we give you all praise, glory, and honor for that truth. Amen. Let's sing together.